experiences and a range of emotions. Uh, we know that David, he's, he's King David. He's known for slaying uh, the, the, the giant Goliath. He's known for uh, writing. Uh, he's a shepherd boy that becomes king, writing uh, a, a lot of the Psalms. And uh, our men's group went through the life of David last year. And just a fascinating uh, story. David, a man after God's own heart, um, and also a man who did absolutely terrible things. Um, what's really interesting, I think, is all the psalms that he wrote in life and how we have the book of Psalms, the majority of them written by David, come from these stories in the Old Testament, these experiences that David had. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how David uh, is betrayed by King Saul, and Saul is after his life, he's trying to kill him. And, and so from that betrayal, uh, David runs, and he's on the run, and he has this experience of people being close to him who betrayed him, and then writes this psalm that comes out of that experience that helps them pray uh, through that experience. Well, the story today picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 21, and David is still on the run from Saul. And it says this in verse 10. It says, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. King of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about? In their dances, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at that man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here and carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? What a strange story. David, on the run, in fear. David was very much afraid. A couple things. One is that it's interesting that, that it says this, this line, David was very much afraid. because we, uh, we know David. Like, David is a brave warrior. There's songs that have been written about him, about how many people he's slain. I mean, that's kind of like one of the marks of, like, making it in life is people are writing songs about you. Like, David has, he has slayed this giant in what's Goliath that is from Gath. He's now back in Goliath's hometown. You think he'd be like, yep, I'm the one that took the giant out that's from here. The king of Gath sees him. And they start to have this conversation. And he says, isn't this David? And whatever happens creates this insecurity, and David is scared. He was very much afraid. So then he starts to act crazy. So they don't take him serious. Maybe there's something wrong with him. He doesn't act himself any longer. He was very much afraid. David being afraid tells us this, that it doesn't matter who you are, how talented you are, what you've accomplished, we all experience fear. David was very much afraid. We all experience fear. It's something that we, we can't escape. All of us go through different things that, that create fear in our life. Uh, we have four kids under the age of 12, and so my life is basically fear all the time. Um, like last week, Ezra fell, bonked his head. We didn't know what happened. He ended up throwing up, and it was like, we got to get him to the hospital. It's terrifying. It's scary. Um, having so many children under the age of 12 also takes me back to all these childhood fears that you experience, like being afraid of the dark, afraid of the monsters in the closet, being afraid of what's under the bed. Sometimes Marcy and I are afraid of what's under their bed. 
Um, but you, you, you all these like these experiences, you grow up fearful as a child. There's just a lot of different things to be afraid of. Um, some fears are a little bit more, you know, like unreasonable. Like my sister Carrie is afraid of clowns. And so she hates clowns, seeing clowns. If you ever want to prank her for Halloween, a clown would be a great idea. Uh, my other sister-in-law, Allie, is afraid of E.T. Um, it's really strange, but she's terrified of E.T. So sometimes we just put like an E.T. toy in her purse or in her house somewhere that she can find it. Um, other people have different fears, uh, like, the, you know, unreasonable, like snakes or spiders or birds. Some of us are afraid of birds. It's called ornithophobia. It's a thing. People have it. It's real. Um, but, but then, you know, there's other fears. Like the number one fear in culture right now is public speaking, to get up in front of people. And it, public speaking is terrifying. Number two is death. And so uh, there's all sorts of fears. But then we have some deeper fears. There's things that we're, we're afraid of. And there, there are things that we don't necessarily always voice, but we have some fears are, are deeper, like, like if the economy goes down. If the economy crashes and we lose jobs, there's this fear of the uncertainty of that. Something that might happen to your children. You might be living in a fear of something that could happen to, to them. Uh, maybe a fear of something that could happen to your marriage or uh, to a relationship. Um, you might have uh, fear for the health of someone that you love. You might have fear for your own health. And uh, maybe you're in a place where you're waiting results from tests and you're just living with this uh, anticipation. Fear is something that can grip our hearts, and paralyze us. Um, I, I'm a fearful person, kind of like David. I'm like, you know, like a warrior and really brave, but I could also be scared. No, I, I know I'm, I'm pretty fearful, and Marcy will attest to this, that even when things are going well in life, I'm like, wow, things are almost going too well. Something bad is probably going to happen because things are going well. It's like I'll go there, like being afraid, like fear, fear will grip, grip my life, and I'm an external processor, so all the things that I'm afraid of Marcy gets to hear it. The staff gets to hear it. It's super fun to be around me. Um, but fear is something that we all experience, even King David. In the midst of him running from Saul, even when he looks back at his life and he sees how God has delivered for him, how God has protected him, how God's protected him from the wild animals when he was a child and he was a shepherd, all the way to the Goliath, this warrior that no one else wanted to take on, God shows up again and again and again. And here David is in this situation, and he is very afraid. He's fearful. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this about fear. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Some other translations say that God did not give us a spirit of timidity. I can never say that word right, so I go with this translation. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Fear is something that is not from God. And when we think about the fear that grips our heart as we interact with the world around us, if fear is something that's not from God, we don't want to accept into our life what's not from God. We don't want this to be something that rules us, that grips our heart, that limits us. David was very much afraid. Um, When we talked about this series, so we plan our sermon series with a couple different churches, and we were looking at this topic of fear. And uh, one of the things that we're joking about is, like, back when I was, like, a teenager in youth group, all the sermons were acronyms. And so we would look at fear, like, fear is, you know, false evidence appearing real. You can write that down. False evidence appearing real. It's an acronym. That's what fear is. 
And we would talk about how, like, you know, fear, like, what's the opposite of fear? Is it faith? Um, you know, faith forwarding all of our issues to heaven, right? Like, that's an acronym. And we could talk about what fear is and what faith is. And commonly in, in churches, what you'll find is that they would say that the opposite of fear is faith. Um, but I, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't think it's, I think you could be, you can have faith and still have fear. And I would like to suggest that I think what the, kind of the definition of, of what, what fear is, is it's not the opposite of faith, but fear is faith in the wrong things. When we start to put faith in the wrong things, our hearts are gripped with fear. When we start to put faith and worth and value into the wrong things, our hearts are gripped with fear. So often it's, it's putting faith in the wrong thing, not just the opposite of fear. Isn't, faith isn't the opposite of fear, but it's putting faith in the wrong things. Faith, it's, fear is putting faith in the what-ifs of life, the what-ifs. And I'm the kind of person that loves to go to, like, worst-case scenario, what if all the time? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if we get these results? And I constantly live in the what-ifs, putting my faith in the what-ifs. And I think, for me, here's what I do. By, by thinking of all the what-ifs, what I'm actually doing is fooling myself to thinking what I'm doing is preparing for the worst-case scenario or preparing for what's, you know, and, and that way I look smart and look like I'm in tune with what could really happen and I'm in touch with reality. But all the while what I'm doing is I'm buying in and I'm giving my heart to these worst-case scenarios and I'm fearful and I'm gripped with fear because of it. One of the, the best leaders in the Old Testament was this man named Moses. And Moses has this experience in Exodus where God sees his people and they're slaves in Egypt and he's calling Moses to help lead these people out of slavery. And Moses has this great calling in his life to be a leader. He sees God in this burning bush. They have this conversation. God speaks to him in this audible voice and says, here's what you're going to do. And you would think that if you have this kind of experience where God shows up and speaks to you, you'd have all the confidence in the world. In Moses' response to God in Exodus chapter 4, when God tells him what to do, he says this. He says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? That first response. But what if this? Like he goes right away to what if scenarios. And God's like, I've given you a calling. I've given you a purpose. I've equipped you to do this. And his first response is, well, what if such and such happens? And this is where I live so much of my life, putting my faith in the what if scenarios. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of sound mind. And fear is putting our faith in the what-if situations. I'm constantly buying into this. Now, this doesn't mean that these what-ifs aren't important to pay attention to, right? Because there are things that we should be healthy, concerned, you know, and we take seriously. But here's something I think fear reveals in our life. I think fear... One of the things that it does is it, what you fear the most reveals what you value the most in life, oftentimes. What you fear the most reveals what you value the most. Um, so for, for us, it's our children. I'm constantly fearful about our kids. I, I know, like, you know, we have a pool in our backyard. Three of our kids can swim. Lila can't swim yet. I probably check our pool gate, I kid you not, seven or eight times a day. Like any free time I have, I'm looking out to make, I am just constantly living in fear because I value the life of my children. And I worry about that. 
There's certain things in my life that I have, I have fear because I value and I don't want to lose something. Like it, those, that's not like a bad thing. But what it does is it reveals, maybe you can think about the things that you're super fearful of as something that you value deeply in life. The second thing that, that I've found is that fear, what you fear the most often reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear the most often reveals what you trust, where you, like trust God the least. Sometimes we forget that there's this sovereign God who's in control. And I constantly am worrying because I'm putting my faith in these what-if situations and what-if scenarios and forget, oh, yeah, I'm not trusting God in this. Where I worry the most often reveals where I trust God the least. Um, so I graduated uh, college in 2005. And one of the things I worry a lot about is finances. Maybe you feel that way too. Um, and I worry about my retirement and where I'm going someday. And I grew up in the house of a pastor and church planner, and he would always joke, well, pastors don't ever retire, they just die someday. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, that's good to look forward to. And he was like joking, my dad was joking, but also there's like this fear of like, oh, I'm not going to ever retire. I'm going to die. And so, like, graduate college 2005, become an adult in 2006. And what happens in 2008? Complete collapse of the economy. Great way to start adulthood. And many people in this room remind you, you know that, right? Like, we, we get out of college, we hit the workforce, all of a sudden, boom, no jobs. If you bought a home, good luck, right? And so, like, even, like, the economy, when I'm fearful of the economy now, I think about, like, we're due for a correction. Everyone keeps saying we're due for a correction. I've never experienced a correction in the economy. I've only experienced collapse as an adult. So I'm like, oh boy, what's coming? Oh my goodness, you know, freaking out all the time, worried about this. Um, worried about my retirement. Um, here, here's one thing I, I do, and, and this is like me like not being able to trust God. I check my retirement like three times a day, every day, like three times a day. I'm just constantly looking at it. There's a guy in our church, George Lynn, who works for uh, a financial company, and I was talking to him one time about our retirement. And he's like, you know, we don't really look at, like, trends. We just, you pick a plan, and you just stick to it over 30 years, and the economy grows. And I'm like, yeah, I, I check mine, like, every day. He's like, that's what you're not supposed to do. Like, you're going to go crazy doing that. And I, I'm, I am going crazy doing that. You're right. Uh, but it, it reveals, like, there's certain things that I just, I stop trusting God with things like our finances. And, and the truth is, it's, it's just money. Like, we, we, I value security. I value, like, being able to take care of my family. Those are all good things. And yet, it's, like, gripped my heart. I'm constantly thinking, worried, concerned about it. And maybe in your life, when it comes to the things that, that you're, you're fearful of, I want you to take a moment. And if this is something that reveals what we value, but it also reveals where we don't seem to trust God, what if we just wrote down on our paper, right now, when you think about the things that you're fearful of, I am not trusting God with blank. Maybe you could just write that down in your notes. Like, what is it that you're just not trusting God with that's causing kind of fear in your life? I don't trust God with blank. And I think this is important to do to name our fears. Um, I've heard it's like what you, when you can define it, you can defeat it. And there's this idea that whatever these things are that are gripping our heart, once we come to understand what they are, we're able to trust God again. This story of David, as he is uh, fearful of what his situation is, and he's kind of freaking out to the point that he's not acting himself, 
it changes his behavior and how he's interacting with people because he's so fearful. Um, what we know is that this story ends up really well. And it doesn't really tell us why, and we'll get to this, where he turns the corner and all of a sudden things are good again. But there's two psalms that are famous because of this story that come from him pretending like he was insane because he was fearful. And the two psalms that come from David's life are Psalm 56 and Psalm 34. In Psalms 56 and Psalm 34, David is dealing with his fear before God. And remember, as we talked about this, this uh, series, Canyons, these psalms allow us to pray through life's emotions, where we go through these peaks and valleys. We go through these canyon experiences. Eugene Peterson says this about the psalms. The psalms teach people to pray, helping them to give voice to the entire experience of being human and to do it both honestly and thoroughly. When we think about our experiences we go through, we have these psalms that help us pray, and it, they're always much better when there's music behind them. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, these, these psalms, and, and what, what we have is David goes through this experience where he goes to the king Achish, uh, Achish from Gath, and he's fearful. And these two psalms emerge from his fear. And I think these words help us. Here's the first psalm. Psalm 56, it says, David is writing from this experience, and he says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. And then he says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. And then he goes on to say, what can mere mortals do to me? Does this sound like David who is so fearful that he's pretending like he's insane? Like something has happened here. He's processing his fear. And he's, he's taking his fear to God. And he says this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and I am not afraid. First thing we do that David does here that we need to do is we acknowledge fear. And we choose to trust God anyway. Because fear is real. We all experience it. David experiences it. It's not from God, but we have it because we're human. We acknowledge the things that we're afraid of. And yet we still choose to trust God anyway. Here's something I learned to do as a teenager that's been helpful for me. To take out a stack of note cards and just to write out my fears on each note card. When you write out your fears, the things that you're afraid of, the things that are gripping your heart, and then to write a scripture on the back of that card. This is a great way to do as a devotional each day, to go back to the card. Here's what I'm afraid of. Flip the card over and be reminded of just the promise of God. And maybe you need to do that and do that with this verse. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I struggle with this, when this is heavy on my heart, when this is causing all sorts of anxiety in my life, when I'm stressed out, when I'm uncertain, I acknowledge that, and yet I put my trust in you. We acknowledge fear, and we choose to trust God anyway. You could spend your whole life looking at just the things that happen in this world, and the things that happen on this earth. And if that's all that you're filtering your view of life through, you'll just live a life gripped with fear. But I think why David's able to come to God and say, God, I, I, I acknowledge my fear, and I choose to trust in you because of this. Because David knows that we're a part of this eternal story. The life that God invites us to is a life that is eternal. 
And he says, what can mortals do to me? Which he means is like, even if they kill me, I know that I'm not forsaken from the presence of God, that God is with me. This Christian hope that we have is no matter what happens to us in this world, we know that we are in God's grip, that he has us. The story of the cross, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies and he conquers death and he rises again. We are people of resurrection, which means we are people of hope. What can people do to us? God is with us. We acknowledge our fear, but we put our trust in what is eternal because we're a part of this eternal story. The second psalm, Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Remember, this is David coming from this story where he's very afraid. Surrounded by his enemies, pursued by the king who's trying to kill him, goes to this other king that he's terrified of. And he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Here's how we also deal with our, our fear. We seek God until he takes away our fears. You seek God until he takes away your fears. You seek the Lord because he will answer you. And he will deliver you from the things that you fear. Throughout scripture, there's this phrase, fear not, that God's people are told, fear not. And in fact, it's, it's in the Bible, it's in scripture, in 365 different verses. We always like, well, there's one for every day of the year, right? An extra one for leap year. Fear not. Seek the Lord, and he will answer you, and he will deliver you from your fears. Sarah Young, who wrote uh, the devotional Jesus Calling, um, beautiful book, great, great devotional, um, often talks about how our problem in life is that we, we glance at God, but then we gaze at our problems and circumstances. We simply just glance at God, and then we gaze at, we're just grounded in these circumstances that we're just so caught up in, and we just gaze for days at our problems, at our circumstances. And she's writing this devotional, and she writes it from like the perspective that Jesus would be writing to us. And she writes about this gazing and glancing. She says, and this is Jesus, saying like these are Jesus' words, gaze at me, glance at problems. This is the secret of living victoriously. Your tendency to gaze at problems for prolonged periods of time, glancing at me for help. This is natural for someone with a fallen mind living in a fallen world. However, I have called you to live supernaturally, and I have empowered you to do so. The Holy Spirit, who lives in all of my followers, enables you to live beyond yourself, to transcend your natural tendencies. Ask my spirit to help, to help you fix your gaze on me. Invite him to alert you whenever you are overly focused on your problems so that you can direct, redirect your attention to me. This is hard work because it is not only unnatural, but also countercultural. Moreover, the evil one and his demons seek to distract you from my presence. 
All these influences working together put massive pressure on you to pay attention to your problems or else. So you need the assistance of my spirit continually. Ask him to help you deal with the difficulties as needed while reserving the bulk of your attention for me, your constant companion. We glance at God and we gaze at our problems. This is encouragement to gaze the face of God, to seek God, and he will answer you. Hillsong wrote a a worship song that says, The things of earth stand next to him, next to God, like a candle to the sun. We worship this eternal God who is sovereign. And our problems, which are problems which are to be taken seriously, are like a candle to the sun when it comes to our sovereign God. The story ends in 1 Samuel 22, and it says that David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down with him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. It doesn't tell us how David gets over his fear. But looking back, we know that these two psalms come from this experience. That he sought the Lord, and the Lord answered him. He delivered him from fear. And now David's in a place that God has him. And other people who are fearful and distressed, indebted, discontent, come to him, and he becomes their leader. On the other side of his fear, he is now in a place where he is leading others. There's this calling, there's this passion that comes on the other side of his fear. I believe that God did not give us a spirit of fear as his followers, but a spirit of power, a spirit of self-control. We are steady in this culture because we know what is at stake eternally. We know who is in control, and we know where all of this is headed. Today, we're going to end our time with communion, and we're going to come to the table and take the elements that represent the story that we're a part of. We come and we take bread that's been broken, and it represents the body of Christ, the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed, that was poured out. We believe that that moment when Jesus went to the cross and sacrificed his life, all of the different things that we worry about doesn't mean they're any less serious or heavy on our hearts, but it means that they've been taken care of, that God has done something in this world, and that he's making the world right, and we're invited to this story. And maybe today you've never come to this moment where you said, there is this eternal hope that comes from relationship with God. And we invite you to say, Lord, just come into our life, come into my life, come into my heart, be king. Give me this eternal hope that you're making this world right. And maybe you need to come to the table today, we're being reminded of the work that God has done, committing to say, Lord, I want to seek you in the midst of my fear. Lord, I want to ask that you would take away my fear, that I would put my trust in you. Maybe whatever it is that you wrote down in that blank that that you're fearful of, today at coming to the communion table, you just say, Lord, I'm seeking you now, asking you to take away the fear that I have, the fear that is gripping my heart. Tim's going to come back up and close us with a song, and we're going to take some time. If you want to move about, we've got communion on both sides of the table.
or both sides of the room, both tables set up. And then Tim will close this out. Let's take some time just being in the presence of God and allow us to just seek God's face, that he will meet us here, that he'll deal with the fear that we have in all different areas of our life, that he'll take our fear away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this story. We're grateful for stories that are that take place thousands of years ago, but we see that humans are just humans. That someone like David could be fearful of life to the point that he's acting out something that's not himself. We're reminded that we all have fear, that it's real, and yet we know it's not from you. We don't want to be people that are paralyzed by it, putting our faith in the what-if scenarios. But we want to seek your face, Lord. We put our faith in you. Lord, there's some uh, people in this room that have uh, circumstances that are much heavier than others. We ask that you would meet them today. That you remind us of your sovereignty in the midst of our circumstances. Lord, that we as a church would gaze upon your face and only glance at the things that make us fearful. As we come to the table today, Lord, we are reminded of your love for us, your ultimate sacrifice on the cross that gives us life eternal. We proclaim it. Lord, we want to be the people of resurrection, that we would live this with our lives. Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. We just ask your blessing today. In your son's name we pray.